Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. I am privileged this morning to introduce our guest speaker who is not a guest. God blessed us to have Ernie Kruger be a part of our staff. We were all changed. We became more radical, more evangelistic. My son got discipleship. Our lives got changed. And when God sent him to Texas for nine years, he grew as a man. He grew as a minister. His wife grew up in this church, Katie. You are one of, did you watch, you were in children's church all the way? No, you weren't in children's church, but you was in the youth. Youth, okay, good. Okay, praise God. Infants, okay. But it's a beautiful thing to watch someone's life grow in Christ. Now, in November, he'll be moving back here as our ENC National Director. I would like you to put your hands together and welcome to the stage one of Bethel's finest ministers of all time. Minister slash pastor Ernie Kruger. Hallelujah. From former athlete to former athlete. He used to be a he used to be a professional rugby player. He's Come on. A, you're a Somebody. former athlete now because uh he was talk because he was talking before the service about beating me. That's true. <clears throat> I saw a photo last week that he showed you guys about him playing pickleball, and I was like, that's the worst form I've ever seen. I whoop you while I lead five people to Jesus, you know? I knew it. I was like, no, that, that's, no that's a football player trying to play pickle, pickleball, you know? All right. Okay. We have a fun time. Let me make sure I know exactly what's happening here. The first service, I was so emotional because it felt like I'm coming home. Um, God's calling us back to Tennessee after nine incredible years in Texas. Um, God shaped us, formed us, molded us, mauled us in Texas, um, uh, got some things out of us, put some things in us, and we are happy to return home and serve this city and the nation on the campuses. Uh, if you're a college student, would you please stand up for a moment, and all the college students, um, come on, give them a hand. Now, I want to just say this to you that you guys are the most precious gift that God can give any church. And we value you, and this church values you, and you have so much purpose, and God's gonna unlock every one of y'all's destinies in this room. And we can't wait to see what God's gonna do to every one of you guys, right? Let's give God a hand for these guys. You guys can grab a seat. All right, College Sunday is exciting. Before I get to that, I wanna just show a photo of my kids. I've got five kids now. Uh, two was born in Africa, two was born in Tennessee, one was born in Texas. Those are the five of them. That photo was taken in Midland, uh, Texas. That's about as much grass as you'll ever see over there. Um, you know, it's uh, not a lot of grass, but a lot of things under the ground. You know, the, the value there is underneath the ground. Uh, the next photo is my lovely wife, Katie. Um, so I just thought that, you know, when people just see
see her without a donut in her hand. See, they just think she's perfect, but that she's got a little sweet tooth, and she is sweet. So, uh, and, and maybe that's a prophetic picture for some of y'all to go get that after the service is over. Um, anyway, it's good to be home. I want to, I actually asked one of my friends, um, Joel Hope, he's from Norway, to come. He's a student, a master's student in Texas, to share his testimony real quick as we talk about the campus and the nations. Joel, come on up. Give it up for Joel Hope. <clears throat> Joel literally just came back from Norway. He got engaged to his now fiance last week. Um, Joel came as a soccer player to UTPB. Uh, he, he just finished his first degree. He's now working on his second degree. Um, I met him on the side of that soccer field right there. That's where the, the athletes work out in Texas. And Crystal was a tennis player. She was a scholarship tennis player. She's now a chemical engineer. Um, and I just want to say this. When I said to Joel one day, I said, Joel, is there any chance that you would marry an American girl? He said, no, nah, these American girls, they're not, I, I, I don't know if I can marry them. I need a European girl. And uh, then he met Crystal, and the rest is history. And so this is happening. Joel, share with us how God touched you on the campus and what he's done in your life. All right, so I came to America all excited, following the American dream. You can do everything, uh, but that did not last a long time. Uh, when I came to college, I broke my back not once, but twice. And yeah, it really put me in a dark place. So um, ENC became a major part in my life. Ernie, uh, first day of practice, met me on the soccer field uh, and I could just feel the Holy Spirit on him. And I know, know that God called me that day. Um, so I learned who God was and what I could do through Jesus Christ. And two years ago on the ENC conference, um, one of the preachers wanted to pray for the sick and injured. I did believe in God, but I found it so hard to believe that God had the authority and ability to heal people. I found it to be some kind of magical or like weird thing, so I, I just sat in my seat, but I had some really good friends that actually pushed me to the front stage. I did really not want to go. So I went up there very hesitant, and when we started praying, this doubt inside of me just became bigger and bigger. And suddenly I remember that in the Bible it says that you need to believe for God to heal you. At that point, I had given up all hope. And I looked around and I was thinking, oh, maybe I should go and take a seat. But I didn't want to disappoint my friend, so I just stayed up there. And I see this guy to my left in the wheelchair crying. And I was thinking, okay, Joel, since you first up there, the least you can do is to pray for this guy that obviously had, has it way worse than what you have ever had it. So I reach out my arm, and as soon as I touch him, I feel a major crack in my back. And all the pain I've been going around with for half a year was suddenly disappeared. Uh, yeah, praise God, praise God. However, you guys believed, but I didn't believe in that moment. I was like, okay, no, this is... Just an emotional situation, Joel. Like, you're, you're not healed. This is just what you're feeling right now. So I decided to go back down, not tell anybody. Uh, and a few days went by, and I still felt so great in my back. So I decided, okay, I will do something I haven't done for a while. I will go for a run, uh, something I haven't been, do, been able to do for half a year. So I started running, and something weird happened. I kept on running, and I continued running. And suddenly... I finished a lap around my school, which is three and a half miles, and I did something very stupid. I challenged God. Uh, I said, God, if you want me to believe that you hear my back, I will tell anybody about it, but you need to make me run three laps around my 
school, which is 10 miles, which is hard to do if you're in a good physical condition even. Uh, so I learned two things that day. Never challenge your God, <laughs> because the only thing that was an aching in pain that day after I was finished with my run was my lower back. Everything else, even my fingers were hurting. <laughs> Secondly, God had healed me. Yeah. <laughs> Later that evening, I had a checkup meeting with my team doctor, and we started doing the testings, and he looks up weird at me, and he says, Joel, like, all your tests are better than when you were in top physical condition. What happened since last week? And I, I told him very awkward, like, I, I think Jesus Christ healed my back. <laughs> and he looks up on me, he is a Christian man, but he said to me, like, have you been drinking more milk? Have you been training? What, what, what you been doing the last week that made all of this happen? That same evening, we canceled my upcoming surgery. And God had healed me in a way that no surgery could ever do. It's amazing. It's amazing. Love you, Joel. Thank you so much. Give it up for Joel. Thanks, Joel. <clears throat> so when we left Tennessee, we went to Dallas, Texas. On the way down there, I heard a voice say, we're going to kill you and your family in Texas. I knew that was not the voice of God. It wasn't my own voice. It wasn't my own mind, my own thoughts. I was mortified. Um, we land in Texas. We ran into an evil landlord that tried to sue us a couple times, took us to court. Um, CPS ended up trying to come after our kids because one of our kids, we asked for a medical vacation, worked with a the doctor. There were some social workers that got involved in that. And I thought that somehow I was going to lose my family in Texas when I left Tennessee and I got to come back. But little did I know that God did not call me to get on a cruise ship, but a battleship. And see, I, in my mind, there was this illusion that somehow when I became a Christian, there's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. God's going to hear, hear, hear all my prayers. I'm going to feel great every day. Life's going to be nice. And you know, in Texas, I found, I, I found there were some principalities that wasn't happy that we were there. The Lord vindicated us completely, embarrassed these people, defended us. This landlord got chased out of the court by a judge. She, 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 she was about to put him in jail on the spot. He was an evil man. Uh, the social worker that accused us of this, she almost lost her job. I mean, God really vindicated, defended us. It was a, a real moment. But when I left Tennessee for Texas, I did not expect that. Because you know what? When you follow Jesus, life's good. Right? Life's awesome. Following Christ is amazing, right? I mean, he heals my prayers. He gives me parking spots. He provides miraculously. He, he's, you know, I'm, now, I'm his favorite child. Little did I know that there was a lot of training waiting for me. And when the grace of God came into my life and saved me, it doesn't end there. I'm going to read a passage in Scripture. And we're going to go straight into the message here. Titus chapter 2. You can read along on the screens if you want to. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. And I'm going to read from the ESV version. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live a self-controlled, upright, upright, and godly life in this present age. Not one day, right now. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of God our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem for himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Verse 15, declare these things 
exhort these things. Rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. That's the word of the Lord. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that your word would instruct us this morning. I pray that your word would strengthen us this morning. I pray that your word would challenge us this morning. And I pray that your spirit would breathe on us this morning in Jesus' mighty name. We land in Dallas all that's happening with this land, Lord, Lord, CPS, all of that happens in the same week. I'm thinking, I think God left me here to die. That voice must have been true. In the middle of that, God challenges me, says, hey, I need you to make disciples. I've got seven kidney stones that here, never had one before. So I'm in and out of the hospital. I'm in excruciating pain. Anyone ever had a kidney stone? My wife doesn't believe me. They say it's worth in childbearing. Um, we, one day the Lord will answer that and settle that one, you know. <clears throat> we get there and I, I decide one day, okay, I can roll over and I can give up and I can go get a job and I can quit or I can fight. I can do what I'm called to do. And I show up at this high school called Louisville High School. There's 6,000 students. I show up and I'm at this point the youth pastor just left here. This is nine years ago. Show up. At the side of this football field, I see this young running back coming off the field. I've been coming for several days. Nothing happened. On the way to training this day, I said, Lord, I've seen, I'm seeing no fruit. I am, I'm not sure why I'm here. I, my family is going through a lot. You need to do something to confirm to us we're in the right place. As this running back in the middle of practice runs up, offense comes off, defense goes on. Running back comes, takes his helmet off. The Lord starts giving me a word for him. I said, hey, you don't know who I am, but I want you to know God just told me this about your life. That night, that running back became a Christian, gave his life to Jesus. The next day, the next night, we had multiple students from that team at a, a burrito place in Texas and Dallas. We bought them burritos and gave them Jesus. More got saved. We looked up a year later, 100 young athletes got born again in our backyard, cooked them brisket, we cooked them ribs, and we gave them Jesus. And the grace of God was at work. And none of those things happened because life was easy and because we're so good and because life is just so perfect. There was an excruciating year. I almost gave up in ministry. I thought about quitting a couple times. Anyone in here ever think about quit, quitting? Anyone think, man, I don't know. This is harder than I thought. Being in the United States, maybe a dream for some, but that was not my dream because my dream, I lived on a nice mountain in South Africa with a nice pool in the backyard. I was known by everyone. I was famous. I, my, my life was a lot easier in Africa and I liked that Disney cruise ship experience a little bit more then this battleship I found myself in. And I started seeing people get hit around me. I started seeing leaders not do well. I started seeing things happen. And all of a sudden, God opened my eyes and I realized that I've been thinking of this illusion that Christianity is easy. It's not easy. If it's easy, then, you shouldn't, then, then you're in the wrong boat. You're in the wrong place. It's for people that are serious about a real living God. I love here what Paul said to Titus. Titus is living in a, in a he's leading churches in a, in a couple islands called Crete. Cretans were not very nice people. They were Greeks. They were known as liars. They were sycophants. They were connivers. They, would, they were very eager for monetary gain. They had a lot of greed that, that, that ruled their life. And they would lie for their own purpose and their own gain very easily. And a lot of that rhetoric and that system of thinking started infiltrating the church church 
And here Paul looks at this young guy, Titus, and he says, the grace of God, Titus, did not appear to make people rich or to put them on a cruise ship or to make them just live an easy life or to define truth for themselves. He said, here's why Jesus came. This is why God came to us. This is why God appeared to bring salvation for all people. See, the reason Jesus came into this life is not to make our lives comfortable, it's to bring power into our lives, to save us, to bring His power into your heart, into your life, into your atmosphere, and to tra transform your, your family, your city, and this nation. Jesus does not play games. When I was just so thankful when I became a Christian, I, I honestly, I thought being a Christian is the best thing in this world. It's amazing. Peace that I've never known comes. Joy that I've never known I now have. This internal sense of, man, I'm known by God. My sins are forgiven. Man, when salvation came to me, it felt pretty amazing. And I thought, wow, this is awesome. At night, I'm reading my Bible, and I'm feeling all goosebumpy and all that fun stuff. And then I'm praying, and God answers prayers, and God's freeing me from all these things, and He's breaking addictions in my life, and it's happening. But what I didn't realize at this time was I was being trained for war. Because see, the grace of God did not just appear to bring salvation to all people, which He does. He saves us. But then all of a sudden, here in verse 12, it says, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Then in verse 12, it says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. A couple years ago, we were getting ready for an ENC retreat in Texas, and I was in the hotel with my kids and one of our missionaries. The Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and said, Ernie, read Titus chapter 2. I got up, I started reading, and I landed on this passage, and the Lord spoke this to me. This is two or three years ago. I can't remember exactly how many years ago. And I found, the, the Lord said to me, this is what I'm doing with the next generation. This is what I'm doing. My grace came to bring salvation to the college campuses in the United States and to train them to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this moment. When salvation comes into your life, when Jesus steps into your life, it's game over for sin. Darkness is broken. No more power other than God's power is now at work in your life. You are now under new management. There is a new chief in town. Salvation is a gift, but what follows salvation is training. The word training, the etymology of that word, the Greek original language, which Afrikaans is my first language, English is my second. I don't speak a third, so I don't try Greek. I'll just explain to you what it means. Pastor Dave can speak Greek. I can't. It means to be trained under strict discipline by a teacher. So God's grace appeared bringing salvation to all people. No one is exempt from salvation. No one can earn salvation. All of us need to get salvation from God himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But then instantly training starts. Now we all love salvation, but training, whoo, whoo. How many of you guys remember or, or, or want to go back to two-a-days in preseason? 
When your coach is yelling at you, blowing the whistle, you don't feel good. There's fluids coming out of your mouth and you, you are cramping. And it's not fun to go into immense training. This word training is the exact same thing. When you come into the kingdom of God, God and the angels of God and the Holy Spirit starts ripping things off of you, pulling things out of you, putting new things in you. And you think, oh my gosh, all I thought is now I'm this pure Christian that's going to have these Instagram worthy pictures of my Bible and a nice cup of coffee and I'm going to meet the perfect person and I'm going to have a lot of money in a nice house. No, that's, that's not true. It's painful to follow Jesus because there's training involved. To be trained means to be broken. To be trained means to be changed, to be transformed. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, there is no such message. If you go one chapter back in chapter, early in chapter two and chapter one, these Cretan Christians that called themselves Christians were saying you can still be a Christian, you can still do these things and you need to add all these things to what Jesus did. Paul said, no, 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 no. The grace of God appeared for, for this primary reason to bring salvation to all people. You cannot add to what Jesus did. He wants to save you. And when he saves you, he starts training you. And you become a force. When I became a Christian, I was so thankful that God had the authority and the power to forgive my sins because I had a lot of them. At the age of 19, I had sinned so much. I thought I was beyond God's reach. And I was invited to an Every Nation campus meeting at the University of Stellenbosch one morning, right after I said, God, if you still see me, let me know, because I can't imagine you would even look at me twice. I'm a hypocrite. I'm a sycophant. I'm a liar. My relationship's all is about me. I'm taking advantage of people, and everyone thinks I'm amazing, and I know that's a lie, because I live with me. I go to bed with me. I said, God, if you still see me, just let me know, because I can't imagine you would even give me a second look. The moment I said that, I heard a ding on my phone. Hey, come to ENC tonight. This is in South Africa 17 years ago. I walk in that meeting unassuming, unassuming. I walk in that night, and as I walk in, I felt something different. I felt the presence of God like I've never felt it before. I felt an invitation from God himself, not from any man that night. And I realized that night what grace meant. And my eyes was open to what grace really does. And in this moment, at the end of this service, the guy is preaching. He's never met me before. There's 500 students. He says, if you want to be a leader for Jesus, come forward. I start walking forward. I've never done that in my life in a church. It's embarrassing. At this point, I was a little bit, I had some notoriety. So I don't want to go forward in front of anyone, especially in a moment like that never thought about it I started walking forward I did not want to be a leader all I wanted was Jesus and as I walk forward this preacher looks at me and he points to me and says you are going to work for God someday and the moment he said that this invisible hand just went through my shame my guilt my pain all my stuff every bit of it and it grabbed my heart and I knew in this moment uh oh something is happening and all of a sudden there was a power that's not of this world that was working inside of my heart I couldn't explain it I started weeping uncontrollably I could not stop crying snot tears I forget about everyone in this room and I realized that night why the grace of God has appeared is to bring salvation to me on my campus and I was so blown away and thankful. 
And the moment I left there, I realized I'm a different person, but I didn't have the language to explain it. I was still in a relationship that was ungodly. I had friends that was doing wrong things. So my whole heart changed. So I tried to go back to my old way of life. The problem was sin didn't taste good no more. I, I remember the first time trying to get drunk after that moment. And I, I was like, ugh. And my friends are like, dude, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know. I just, I just don't want to do this no more. So I left early. Everyone's like, Ernie, what's wrong? Ernie, are you okay? Ernie, I said, guys, I don't know what's going on. The next night, I try again. Uh, an, another version of sin. Halfway into it, I'm like, man, what am I doing? I feel sick to my stomach. I want to throw up. I'm like, I got to leave. I'd never felt this before. I loved sin. I loved every bit of it. I loved and enjoyed. People say sin's not good. No, sin can be good. I liked every bit of it. But something changed. Why? The grace of God appeared in my life. And he brought salvation to me. He gave me a new heart. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Anyone that's in Christ has become a new creature. The old has passed away. The new is now here. I was a new man. I didn't know I was a new man. I thought I was just now a saved man. The grace of God was in. But then the thing that caught me really good, there is like a, as a good coach that doesn't tell you the full story. You're like, you make the team and you're happy, but then you show up on first day for practice. And you're like, bang, this is hard work. Grace brought me into the kingdom of God. You can't earn it. You know you don't deserve it. It's the grace of God. And then all of a sudden I experienced, verse 12, training to renounce ungodliness. I was trained by the Lord and the Holy Spirit. I was trained by the scriptures. I was trained in a Bible study. I was trained in my church. I was trained by a mentor. I was trained by a family in the church that invited me every Sunday night to sit in their living room. They made me food, which I loved. I was hungry. Any, any college student is hungry. They are hungry. I was eating all their food. I think they would always think, man, Ernie's coming. We've got to go grocery shop. I ate all their food. I was being trained. They would talk to me about living godly. I saw healthy marriages. There was missionaries meeting me on campus, trying to get Jesus into me and the devil out of me. It was a process, and God started training me. And then I got some basic biblical foundations, went through the purple book, went through the one-to-one, -one, all these things that we go through. Training to be, I was trained by the Lord to, to renounce ungodliness and my worldly passions. I started living the self-controlled, upright life, this godly life. But there was a part of this training I did not see coming, and that was to deal with the spiritual forces that tries to blind the eyes of people and raw people. And one day my wife and I, minding our own business, just wanting to have a little bit more training in the Lord, some nice Bible study, some nice learning how to live a Christ-centered life, you know, all that fun stuff. Learning how to be a good husband and wife. I sit in this Bible study, nice and comfortable, life's good. I have an amazing wife. And this guy walks in with his wife, and I hear the voice of God. He says, I need you to cast the devil out of that person. I said, Lord, I don't do that. I, that's not, no. Mm -mm. And the pastor literally sits next to me. I said, Lord, he is one seat over. Like, you, I think you got the wrong guy. Because I'd seen the movie Exorcist. <clears throat> that, that priest trying to throw, I mean, I was like, no way. I'm not never doing that, never doing that. 
next week. I'm just trying to grow. I'm just trying to be trained in holiness and godliness. But see, the Holy Spirit was trying to train me in a, in a, in a deeper way. He was trying to show me some spiritual gifts. He was trying to show me some spiritual skills. He was trying to show me the authority I now have in Christ as a child of God. And see, I, see, I didn't know all this stuff. But see, this type of training comes to anyone that truly believes in Jesus. If you know him and you walk with him, you're going to find yourself in these situations. And if you're not, you need to evaluate your life. A couple weeks later, I go to this Bible study every single week. I'm not joking. The, the, the Holy Spirit's like, you need to cast the devil out of this guy. You need to cast it. And then finally, I'm like, Lord, this is, this is, this is overwhelming. I mean, I, I don't want to be in disobedience, but I really, there's other people that can do that. Like, I am not that guy. I go to Bible study. The, the venue changes. It's not at the pastor's house that night. It's on a wine farm in the middle of darkness, which is beautiful in the day, but at night, scary. We go to this old house, and all of a sudden, we sit down, and we have this Bible study, and this guy and his wife walks up, and I hear, the, I hear that same voice saying the same thing, and I'm thinking, this is a trap. This pastor asked me to be in charge of this Bible study. And so now I'm a little mad, honestly. I'm frustrated. I'm like, I, t- I told the Lord, and I told this pastor, I don't do stuff like that. So that we sit down at the end of the Bible study, man goes this way, woman goes this way, and we get to this guy, and we start praying for him. And his chair starts bouncing. Now, I've never seen a bouncing chair. I don't know if you have. But in this moment, there was a healthy amount of fear in my life. And I wanted to leave, but the problem was I agreed to be in charge. I wanted to say, Kelly, let's go. We out. This is time to go home. And all the people there looks at me like I'm this expert. I've been saved three years. I'm just trying to memorize a couple of verses. So we take him to a private room. And we start praying for him in this private room. And there's women and children on the other side. And see, in my mind, training and the way spiritual warfare worked, it was a physical fight. Because I grew up fighting. I didn't grow up in Disney World. I grew up in the streets in Africa where you need to know how to throw a punch. You know I mean, otherwise you're not going to make it. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to have to fight this, these demons now. It's going to be a fight. So I'm, I'm prepared, and then all of a sudden, this guy falls down, and he starts sailing like a snake, and he lifts off the floor, and I said, mm-mm. I jump on him, I got him down, and I'm yelling as loud as I possibly can, you come out of him in the name of Jesus. Everyone steps back up against the wall, everyone's backing up. It's a bunch of white guys trying to deal with this demon. This is just, this is weird. For most European people are like, that's weird, Ernie. It's just, you know, we're not used to that stuff. And I'm yelling, I lose my, I think I strained my vocal cords that night. And we get in the car, we dealt with this guy, he got free and whatever, you know, that needed to happen. I didn't even know how it happened, I was so afraid. We get in the car, we're driving home, and I'm, I'm mortified. I feel like I just made the devil and every demon in hell mad. And I'm now, I'm now the main target, and he's going to run me off the road. I, I don't think we're going to make it home. I'm like, I think we're going to die. So we're driving, it's pitch black, dark, mountainous road, windy road, and I'm just sitting here, I'm sh- and I don't want to show my new wife how scared I am. I'm like trying to act tough, but I'm, I'm shaking on the inside. And Katie just looks at me, and very, very patiently and gently and sweet, she says, you know, you could have just told those demons to leave and they would have gone. And I'm like, well, if it was that simple, why didn't you come do it? Why didn't you just come in there? And tell it to go because now I'm in there thinking I'm about to get into a massive brawl and, and maybe not make it out of there. But little did I know that God was training me 
God was training me how to live this new life. We pulled up at Bethel one morning. I think Nolan uh, Mueller is here in this room potentially. We just got done evangelizing and I, we see this guy walk up to us. He parked in the bottom and, 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 and um, not Granny White, Old Hickory. And he was walking that way around to the admin offices looking for a little gas money. And, I, and the, the moment he walked towards me, the Holy Spirit said, Ernie, tell this guy, this is not a day of shame, but a day of destiny. I've never met him before. I said, hey man, before, you know, as he's coming closer, before you ask me for anything, this is not a day of shame, this is a day of destiny. Let me take your hand, let me pray for you, and then we can talk about whatever you need. Nolan is right next to me. Now I have to say this about Nolan. Nolan's one of the greatest Christians I've ever met. Also one of the skinniest Christians I've ever met. And... You know, I just have to say that because people call me thick, so I'm calling him skinny, you know. But he's an incredible man. I love him. So we stand there. We start praying for this guy. And all of a sudden, this guy drops to the floor. And he starts, you know, fluids come out of his mouth. Not nice. And it's getting all over us. So I'm trying to hold his hand. It's hot Tennessee sun. And I start prophesying over him. And the power of God is now working. And I said, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. And I start saying these things. I've never met this guy. And he starts praying in the spirit. He gets up, starts worshiping the Lord. I mean, it was a weird moment. It's not, it's not like a typical church moment. But it's, see, the Lord doesn't care about how clean we do things in church. He's a real God that's among real people. That guy ran out of gas in front of this church, was going to kill himself that day, ran out of gas that day, and then heard a voice say, walk that way. And that's that just when Nolan and I gets out of the car, and he was losing his wife, he was losing his kids, he could not get ahead financially, he was battling all kinds of addiction, and he tried religion. It didn't work, but he's not yet experienced the grace of God. That day, that man got set free. God delivered and he's literally right now, he's in Ohio right now preaching at a revival with his children and his wife. He's prophesied to more nations I've ever been to. He's never even been in a high school or a college. He's now doing high school and college online. And he grew up in the south side of Chicago. His mother was a prostitute. His father was a pimp. But the grace of God appeared. And it brought salvation to him. And now he was trained to live this life. And the, the last thought here I want to share with you before we, we close this moment together. When we, when we get saved, we get trained. And, and in that process, there's this expectation, this waiting. And it's not a passive waiting. It's an eager waiting. It's an ex anticipation. It's a prepared waiting. It's a, I'm preparing while I'm waiting in eager anticipation. Let me finish with verse 13 here. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession that's zealous for good works. As we wait upon the Lord, as we are saved, we get trained, and in this waiting period, there's this purity that comes in us and this zeal for the work of God, this passion for the work of God that wakes us up in the morning, that, that guides us, it leads us to the things that God cares about, the things God wants to do. That's what marks the life of a Christian. And, and verse 15, I'm gonna say this, and my college friends, listen to this. Here's what Paul said to Titus. He said, don't preach a message that says you're okay in your sin that you just need to accept the way you are, that you can't break out of these habits or these ways of thinking. He said, preach this message we just talked about. And then he says in verse 15, declare this message. Yeah. 
talk about this, preach it, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Whose authority? God's authority. God's giving us the authority to preach this message. And then he says, let, let no one disregard you. Let no one disregard you. The biggest lie of the enemy is that you are qualified on your own merit or that you're disqualified irrespective of God's merit. The moment Jesus steps into the life of a believer, of a human being, we are transformed forever. We are added to the family of God. We are now people in authority. We are people under his authority. And we have his authority. Wherever you go, you'll be fruitful. Wherever you go as a child of God, you'll bear fruit. Wherever you go, nothing can stop you. When I left Tennessee, I went to Texas. I was terrified. I was in a very liberal campus. We saw 3,000 students in one, two and a half years come to Christ. We baptized 150 of them. We have eight full-time missionaries. Then I went to Midland, Odessa. They said to me, Ernie, we're not quite sure that we'll have a great campus ministry here. The, the schools are small. We're not sure that this is the best place for campus ministry, but we want you to try and see how well you can build this. They've had some fruit in the past, but it's never been a consistent thing that's really a, a fruit-bearing campus, very small universities, two JUCOs and one fairly small school. We got there and the Lord said to me, Ernie, you need to be like Caleb. Everywhere the sole of your, touch, your, your foot touches, like Josh and Caleb, that you, I will give to you. And he said, anyone that says anything negative about these places I called you to, you need to reject that. And you need to know that I'm sending leaders to you and nations to you on these campuses. The next week I met Joel. The next week we met another student. Before we knew it, in West Texas, in the middle of nowhere, we had 14 nations in our campus ministry. 14 different nations. All of a sudden we look up, we have more than 100 students. Now we have seven, six full-time missionaries on the campuses working and winning souls and making disciples. There's not a place on earth that will stay dry when God's grace appears. The moment we understand the grace of God, everything changes. And then what happens once we receive salvation, we receive training, this waiting, this eager waiting, anticipation starts building and we find ourselves declaring the goodness of God. Let's stand together, church, as we close this moment. Here's... Here's the problem with a lot of people today. They think that religion is the cure. They think that they need to go to religious environments and work harder and try better. That's not the message of the Bible. That's not the message of the early church fathers. And that's not the message of every nation or Bethel today. The message that we have that we share with you today, especially the next generation, as we look to the college campus, is that God's grace appeared. God became a man in Jesus Christ. God doesn't talk a big game. He showed up. He said, I made you and I'm going to reveal myself to you. He stepped into time, into space, took on flesh. Then he lived a life that none of us could ever live. He lived a perfect, sinless life that satisfied the righteous requirements of God. The per perfect standards. He met them all on my behalf and your behalf he willingly got on a cross willingly no one took him to a cross he walked to that cross with you in mind with me in mind because he knew salvation comes only from him that's the alert that people need to get saved today
He defeated sin effectively. Painfully crucified, spread upon this cross, ripped to pieces, taking the full punishment that you and I deserve. The anger of God was revealed against the Son of Man on the cross. The justice of God is at display in this brutal moment. God hates sin. He must punish sin. But His grace appeared. And He's doing it for me. And He's doing it for you. And He's doing it for every person and nation on this earth. And then three days later, He just stands up. He's like, okay, good, I'm done being dead. He stands up proving his identity. Dead people do not come back to life. He stands up. He appears to his people over a period of five, 40 days. Over 500 people at the same time. Multiple interactions. People are touching the wounds. They're seeing him. They're talking to him. They're eating with him. Fellowshipping. That grace appeared to bring salvation. To save that which is lost. You cannot save yourself. Your careers, your relationships, your, your plans that's grand and you have it all figured out, none of that will save you. Only Jesus will save you. And the moment He saves you, He'll train you. And you'll become a fruitful person. If you walked into this building today and you thought, man, I need to try harder today. I want to try and get to God. God came to you already. He met you. He was here before you came here. If you've not put your faith in Jesus, I want you to come forward and stand right up here and say, today I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm, I'm not going to try anymore. Today I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to walk with Jesus. Come up front here. Just come forward. Don't wait for nobody. Come up here. Just stand right here with me. Don't wait for nobody. Jesus is here. The grace of God appeared. To bring salvation for all people. Your past is nothing for Jesus. Your, your struggle this moment is nothing for Jesus. You don't fix yourself and then come. You come as you are. I come as I am. I want Jesus. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. It's time. We don't play church. We are the church. We don't play games. We don't have a make-believe God. We have a real God. I want to pray with you guys here for a moment. And then the team here is going to take care of you and, and, and start the training process and teach you how to walk with Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's a confession with, of you where you confess and declare with your mouth a true confession that you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to put all your confidence in Christ and what He did on the cross, you no longer are going to trust yourself. And you're going to let Him take charge of your life. You're coming under His management. His kingdom come, His will be done, not yours. Not the will of your family. Not the, will of, not the expectation of culture, but the will and the purpose of God. Pray this prayer with me. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I come in faith. And I come with expectation. I know that you paid for my sin. I know you took my sin upon yourself. God, you laid my sin on Jesus.
And right now, I thank you that you're laying on me the righteousness of Christ. I put my faith in Jesus. I will follow him for the rest of my life. He is my God. He's my redeemer. He's my healer. And I will follow him for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name.